good to be with you all. It's uh, when Michael was asking if anybody wanted to come and to bring the word tonight. I was uh, glad to have the opportunity. Appreciate his ministry and your elders. We he's praying for Presbyterian. We really do work together and get to know each other through Presbytery and, and serve this this whole area. So it's a real treat to come and bring the Lord's word to you uh, tonight. I'm going to read to you from, I'm actually changing, it's not the passage that's in your uh, bulletin. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. Hear the Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the death of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You've heard from the Lord. Talked to Michael and Ed, and they both mentioned that they had a chance to go to the uh, CCEF trauma conference uh, this, this past weekend, the last couple of days. And I, I did too. I didn't get to, I got to go. I got to go through it. We, we had a few folks who went who were in person, and then we had a whole bunch of folks who were ready to sign up, so we were kind of waiting right at the end before they closed registration. And I went to register everybody, and in person was closed. So we had a watch party from eight miles away at our church. <laughs> but anyway, it was good. It was sweet fellowship, and it was rich material. And... As I had talked with Michael this week, I thought it's, we all have hard times that we go through. I'm going to share something that's not going to sound, it was hard, but not in this kind of way. I had one, it was a Friday, Friday's my day off, and on Thursday, we, the elders get together at, uh, we get together at six in the morning and pray uh, for the congregation and so it started early and I had a, a meeting in Charlottesville at 5 p.m. Thursday night and so I got home kind of late so I was definitely it was I I killed it on my day right before my day off so I could Sabbath and so I get home and there were some couple phone calls or I got back and there were a couple phone calls that I was gonna have to tend to uh, that were kind of ramped up and uh, a little testy and I'm thinking, golly, you know, I, I got to have to take care of some chores here at home. So I went out to, to my wife's car, and I think I was replacing her registration or her insurance card or something. And I was sitting in the passenger seat, and her car was on the left and mine was on the right. So the door, wasn't, it was only opened a little bit, so there was about this much space. And as I'm looking in there, I hear, hear something over my head, and then I felt... Uh, splash of something in my face and I realized that somehow a bird had managed to dive bomb me basically 
And I don't know how, I mean, it was pretty nasty. Uh, but it was also pretty impressive. That little, that little crack that he was uh, able to hit me in the cheek. But anyway, I kind of knew, okay, this was going to be one of those days. You know? <laughs> we, all, we all have days like that, right? And you may have been having some weeks like that or, or months or maybe this year has been like that. And obviously there are a lot more painful things uh, that we can go through. Sickness of losing uh, as you were uh, praying for the missionary, I assume, Jonah. Um, we've, our congregation, we don't, you know, y'all are here in Hampton Roads. We, we don't have a lot of funerals. We maybe one a year or every other year because I find people don't retire to Hampton Roads. They retire from Hampton Roads because they're not native here, so they move to be with their kids or they move to go where they came from. And, but this year we've had about six in the last two or three months and which compared to some churches isn't necessarily a lot but you just see the pain people are going through and I'm sure you all have sickness uh, some of you all personally just may or have just chronic conditions we have, we have some things that are hitting and there's times where it just feels like everything's going against you doesn't it? and you might be tempted to lose hope the challenges and the, and the, and the pains uh, just sort of pile up. It might be bills. It might be physical things. It might be uh, hard heads in, in your household. It might be your own hard head uh, that's kind of rearing, uh, rearing its ugly head. Um, you might find yourself just looping back into some old sin patterns uh, that you thought, thought you've defeated. But, or, or maybe work or school. This feels like an endless treadmill that just isn't gonna, feels like it has no direction, or your life just feels like it has no direction. And sometimes you just don't feel like you can get a break, and at least you're tempted to lose hope. It's interesting, Paul begins 2 Corinthians 4 by saying, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And the passage that I, that I read, uh, really reaches out to us for the situations and the scenarios where you might feel like you just, you're, you're ready to lose heart or to, to lose hope. A few years ago, we looked through several passages in the scripture. I think most of them were Paul, but not all. Some were Peter, uh, even in James, in which we talked about Jesus's death and resurrection and ours. Because a friend of mine pointed out a theme that, that runs real heavily throughout the New Testament. I mean, it started with Jesus and then his various disciples, uh, and, and including Paul, echo this, this understanding that, of course, Jesus died and we're united to him, so we died with him in the past. And he was raised from the dead, and we were raised up with him. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we're seated with him in the past and, and positionally. And, and one day, we will, go, we will be raised with him. But there's also a present sense in which we share in the death of Christ. And we share in the life of Christ. And that's what Paul talks about here. It's not just that in the past that we died with Christ and we were raised with Christ, which we just sang about. Our life is hid with Christ. And that is glorious and that is essential that we lay hold of that 
But sometimes it helps us to make understanding with what we're going through now to realize that the Bible, the, the, the writers, also talk about the fact that we share in the death of Jesus today with things that we go through. Again, just he says in, in verses 10 through 12, he says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in your bodies. And then if, if we, in case you didn't hear it, he says it again. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then he says it again. So death is at work in us. But then he turns a little bit. He says, but life in you. So the first thing he talked about here is that we share in the death of Jesus. I mean, Paul's pretty unswerving that he just keeps going back to it. And there's a sense in which he's talking about his ministry, but he's talking about a lot more because he says, I mean, in verse 11, he says, we who live, which is more than just Paul. Any of us, anybody living here? We who live, that's us, who, who live in Jesus. He says it three times, and he, but he doesn't just repeat death. He says always. We are always carrying in our body the death of Jesus. We are always being given over to death. There's this repetition, and if, if you expect something to always be the case, then it kind of helps you not be surprised by it, right? If you, it's, it's always going to be like this. Now, that may sound like a real downer to, be, to get ready for your wife. Say, oh, great, always given over to, to death. The, to help reduce surprise, we get to live in the real world and say, here's, here's what's here. And Paul is saying that we've died with Jesus, but we continue to die with him. Jesus doesn't need anything added to his death that in which suffering atones for our sin. Jesus completely covered our sin. He did all the work necessary. But Jesus is still alive. He's still alive bodily. And he is the head and we are his body. So we are part of Jesus. We really are part of Jesus. And as he was the suffering servant, that's all, that is his role. And so that Paul's understanding is that that, that continues through our lives. That's why, I mean, even Peter in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, he, he tells them, he says, Beloved, you shouldn't be surprised at these fierce trials that you're going through, as if the, the, the pain and, and the suffering is something that wouldn't happen. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. He says that you may be also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Uh, in, in Philippians, the, the passage I was originally going to, going to uh, looking at preaching on, that, that's kind of where this idea starts he says in, in chapter 3, he talks about the importance. Paul's whole new identity is bound up in knowing Christ. And he says, but he also says, and sharing in his sufferings. So this, this idea that that's part of what it is to know Jesus is that we know him 
by sharing in his sufferings, by knowing that our sufferings tie into that. What, what Paul is saying here is that we, we continue to die with Christ, not just dying to our old self, but just experiencing different types of death. There's the spiritual dying. We, we were born in Adam, right? We were in, we were in the first Adam. And how, how, you know, that meant that we, we had the same frailties and we, we were kind of in the, in the covenant of works. And then when you're born in the new Adam, in Jesus, the second Adam, you come into his new creation. The first Adam is part of the first creation. The new Adam is in the new creation. We come into that. And so we have died to our old selves that were part of that old creation. But there's a continuing dying. It could be a physical disability. It could be pain. It could be sickness. It could be persecution for staying faithful to Jesus or, or holding the name of Jesus and having that be costly to you in the workplace or with friends or in school where people look at you funny and think something's wrong with you. Uh, that often our death occurs in, in when God exposes sin in us. I mean, how's it feel when, you know, when God shows you? When God exposes sin in you, I don't know about you, my experience is that tends to happen most of all that he, he, he exposes it to me, but he doesn't use direct revelation. He uses somebody who knows me real well <laughs> to expose my sin. Uh, and that's death, right? That's, pain, that's painful for somebody who knows you well enough to, to, to bring something to light. A growth opportunity. <laughs> That's pain. And, that, I mean, Jesus, obviously, he did not have sin, but the, the pain that's involved in repentance as we're, as we're exposed as sinners, you know, my ego dies. That's what, that's what the pain is. My ego is taking a hit. I'm saying, wow. I'm being reminded that everything God said about me is true. That's why I need Jesus. Jesus' love was, you know, it was costly. It was involved sacrifice. That's why it is the picture of love. We love because he loved us first. But he loved us very concretely. He loved us very specifically by suffering and dying for us in our place. And that's the pattern for godly love. And so that kind of love isn't always well received. Sometimes when you love, you've had that. Where you wanted to love somebody, you really wanted to serve somebody, and you were even willing to do something costly that was costly to you, and you, and you loved them, and they didn't get it? How does that feel? They, they, they missed it, or they took it the wrong way, or they got hurt. You're trying to do something loving, and all you get is, is pushback from the person. It, there's, a, there's a death. That, 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 that feels. Again, listen, listen to Paul's examples of the death. In verses 8 and 9, he said, we are afflicted in every way. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. It's interesting, at the beginning of this letter, in, in, in chapter 1 of Second Corinthians, Paul says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. In fact, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
So the, the suffering that Paul was going through in Asia, he, he thought it was a done deal. He'd been sentenced and he was going to literally die. It was, it, it was, he said it was beyond our strength. We despaired of life itself. So he's not waxing philosophical. Paul's talking brass tacks. He's, he's living right in the middle of the real life, his life. And specifically, he's giving them a window. Here's how you process what's happening to you so as not to lose hope. He said, that's where I was. But we're not losing hope. Even though we thought what was happening was bringing the sentence of death. Does that make sense? He, he's, not, he's not whining. He's counseling these brothers and sisters in the church in Corinth, he's saying, how do you not lose heart? He's going to tell them again at the end of the chapter so, so that you don't lose heart. And he says you do it by having a bird's eye view of your life. And he said it starts by seeing your experience the way that God sees it. That you will share in the sufferings of Christ. But that's actually good news because it's not the end of the story. Because the death the suffering, the sharing in the death of Jesus, carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. When you feel like it feels that way, it's because it is that way. He's saying, but, but it shows off the life that we have in Jesus. In other words, what Paul says here isn't a message about bad news. He's not just saying, hunker down, it's rough out there. He, he's, it's filled with gospel hope. And that's the beauty of it. Again, let me read through these verses again. You can highlight the words a whole lot differently. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, starting in verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And Paul's saying, look, just like the most awful death in all of history, the most unjust, inappropriate, un the, the unfair death of Jesus, the execution of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity as a, as a criminal, that death issued forth in the defeat of death in resurrection, in life itself. And he says, there's therefore purpose. So he's not just saying, okay, life's going to be rough out there. He's saying, yeah, life is going to be rough. That's the real world. We're not going to pretend. My, my MO when I do premarital counseling, I was, I was a singles pastor for eight years when I was first doing ministry, so I've gotten to do a whole lot of marriage, premarital counseling over the, over the years. I love doing it. But my MO is... I always start out telling the couple, you know, when you get married, you got the good and the bad and the ugly. And I figure you guys can handle the good stuff pretty well on your own. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the bad and the ugly. But I'm just telling you that. I love marriage. I love being married. But just in case it sounds kind of stark, I want you, know, I want you to be ready for it. And my hope is that a year into it, if you're saying this wasn't quite as rough as Jeff made it sound like it was going to be, you're in good shape because you went through all the, heavy, the, the bumps and that will go on, the speed bumps that, that God puts in there, the, the, the sanctification God brings when you're trying to synchronize two lives when you're first getting married. It, it's better to know what we're walking into and not be surprised by it. And, and that's one of the things I love about the Bible. You know, it's not just trying to sell God or sell Jesus. Oh, this is the easiest way to make your life go. He's real upfront about how messy 
our lives are and how difficult and, and how painful it can be. But it's also filled with the hope. And he says, the purpose that's going behind the death is so that the life of Jesus will be manifested. So he's saying, you're feeling, and he says in our mortal bodies, literally, in our, he says we manifest in our mortal flesh. He's talking about the concrete grid of life, that the life of Jesus. So we feel the death of Jesus, and other people may or may not see that or recognize that going on in the inside for us, but the result is that the life of Jesus can be showing at the same time that the death of Jesus is going on. Does that make sense? And, and I, it expands on what he says back in verse 7, the first verse that we read, when he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. So the, the death is that when we get exposed as jars of clay, He's saying, we are, we are jars of clay. What's the treasure? Well, he's just, he talks about the treasure in the first part. He says, we, we proclaim Christ as Lord. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, God whose creative power was spoken into being, he, that same God has caused his recreative power to create life within us. And that, but that treasure, don't have any babies here tonight. It's probably a good idea, this late at night. But, you know, if, when, you, when you have your baby, your child, and you're getting ready to leave the hospital, they give you some complimentary baskets to take your child home. And they, they, they don't give you a brown paper sack, Right? They say, here's a brown paper sack. Because you'd be putting your treasure in a brown paper sack. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. The glory of God in the face of Jesus who is in us. That's the treasure. And he's in us. A bunch of cracked pots, basically. Right? And it, 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 we, we, the, the death is that I get exposed as being a jar of clay. You know, a jar, a broken jar of clay. Back then, they, you know, they, they used pottery. They used all their pottery for all the things. How, do, how does broken pottery work? How, how does that help? What can you put in broken pottery? Right? As soon as it's broken, it's useless. It's, un, it's unimpressive. And he said, the, the life is that in spite of our cracks, that were cracked pots, the cracks allow the light of the life to show through for other people to taste. And it shows that in spite of our death, the life, because Jesus is in us, because God is in us, because the Spirit is in us, it shows that the power of what goes on in my life is from God and not from me. It's not natural. It's, it's supernatural. You know, I think if we're honest... We'd rather have God glorify himself by making us glorious, right? We kind of hope, we kind of the assumption that's how it's going to work. He'll make me glorious and so everybody will be impressed and want to turn to Jesus. But he doesn't tend to work that way, does he? He often gets the most glory when, when we're the least glorious. 
You know, the people look and say, that must be some kind of guy to be able to do something so different through such a knucklehead, you know. <laughs> it's like, wow, that, that must be a real God. When I've met with communicants, children who are ready to profess faith in Christ, I've, I've often asked, uh, we talk about what it is to glorify God. And, and I said, you know, imagine, you know, you, you have a, a sibling and if you were to go to your sibling, you know, you just are making a profession to, uh, to, to honor and to love, uh, to live in a way that becomes a follower of Jesus. And if they were to do something where you just really got you boiling on the inside and you wanted to let them have it, and they knew that you wanted to let them have it, and they probably deserved to let, for you to let them have it. Uh, but if you went to them and said, you know, I know I want to do it, but I, you know, Jesus told me I'm supposed to bless you in, as my enemy right now instead of letting you have it. Uh, I would say, well, I, what do you think your, your brother would, or sister would say? And they always get a big old smile on their face <laughs> as, they're, as they're just thinking about it. And they say, you know, they think I was crazy or, you know, what happened to you? Or, you know, that's the glory of God. It, it's, it's, not, it's God working in us in ways that we don't, don't expect. Uh, Paul says, and it's, it doesn't always get manifested in ways that seem spectacular, awesome, victorious. Listen, I mean, Paul, in verse 8, Paul says, we're afflicted in every way. He doesn't say, but we're all smiles and happy. He, says, he just says, we're not crushed. Well, sometimes just not being crushed is pretty glorious, Right? He says, sure, we're perplexed. We're not driven to despair. Again, just being in the ballgame, having a little remnant of hope can be glorifying to God. I get stunned how many times I read in in these New Testament letters about prayers for or encouragements just for endurance. I mean, when do you endure? When you're gutting it out, right? That's why you're, you're, you're just grinding. Sometimes just to still be standing at the end of the day, to persevere. He says, we're persecuted. He says, but we're not forsaken. Again, his point is that the, the life of Jesus in you isn't always some mighty transcendent looking victory. It's that the, the resurrection life is that you're just, sometimes you're just still standing and yet the Lord uses that to show off the life of Jesus. What you pray for is for God to give people spiritual eyes. And it might be something that isn't spectacular, but God gives them eyes to see. We, we, uh, this afternoon, uh, my wife and I got to go to lunch with... Um, a good friend from uh, Scotland. It was about the Lord's glory. <clears throat> and we were going over a story that happened. We, the previous church I was in, we took a group of a few folks, and they were in this little bitty church, and it wasn't a small town. It was about 50,000 people. It was a very unglamorous town. It used to be the, 
the linoleum capital of the world, so you can imagine where they are now. Uh, they've got one linoleum, they used to have four linoleum plants, now they have one. And it's, it's uh, but we, we went over there year after year for, for several years just to, just to work with them and help them out. And a real neat thing that the Lord did was after the first year we went, the Lord, there was a couple in our church, he was an elder, he was just becoming an elder actually. They had been on staff with crew way back in the day when they were younger. And the Lord just put on their hearts, he had a job with the state, he did IT work, where he could take up to 364 days and if he came back, he'd get the job back, allegedly. He ended up getting it back, it wasn't as clean as it sounded on the front end. But anyway, they decided they were going to move their family over for a year and be missionaries. So they raised support to move their family of, of five over uh, just to be a Christian family in the church. It was a church of like 20, 25 people, but it was, there was the pastor. There were a couple elders, but they were homebound, I think. They were elderly. Um, and there were, there were a few couples, but the wives were members and the husbands were not. So there were, there were like, the pastor was the Christian man in the church. Uh, and of course, he's the pastor, so it doesn't count. <laughs> um, and so it was neat. They moved over there. And they moved, it was during the summer, the, year, uh, the, the, the following year, and we took a team after that and worked there. And we came back, and it was, I think, February or March. It was one Sunday, and I was the associate pastor at the church, but the senior pastor was away. And so I got up to do announcements at our service. I think we had two services. I can't It's not all clear. I'm getting old. Um, 20 years ago. And, he, and one of our elders was walking down the middle aisle to me and he said you got a phone call and it's from Neil McMillan who was this woman this friend of ours uh, her husband who was the pastor and he's on he's on the phone and, and he's you know this is eight o'clock in the morning central time of course it was a lot later over in Scotland but uh, that's kind of weird so I, I went back to take the call uh, before I got ready to do the announcements and he said Ken the husband of the couple is in ICU Please pray. We don't know if he's going to make it. So I went back and we had a little prayer meeting before we had the announcements. And uh, over the next week, they were testing and testing. And he, he, he'd had kind of what seemed sort of like a bronchitis or something, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And they tested and tested and tested. And um, the pastor's wife was telling us today, we, there, there was another a fourth a friend of hers who, who was there and she was explaining that they brought they did a huge consultation I mean all the experts in the hospital were there together trying to figure out what to do and they said look we've done every kind of test that can be done and there's one thing it could be that you can't really test for but it's sort of what's left over when you've tried everything else but here's the issue I mean he was so full of antibiotics and I don't think probably had a cold since the last 20 years but he they said if, if we do this if, if this is what it is we're gonna have to just pump him full of steroids and they they were telling his wife you need to give us permission because if we do that and it's not that it'll probably kill him now as I had been talking with the pastor uh, he had shared with me how extraordinary it was for his wife, uh, Tammy, who actually was staying with us. She was here for the conference this weekend. Um, 
Yeah, she, she had everything stripped away. She had nothing to hold on to of her own strength. Talk about you know, carrying the debt. And, but because she was grabbing hold of Jesus with two hands, he said she, she was the, the staff, the church, everybody was stunned watching her go through what she was going through overseas with, you know, possibly losing her husband with just a countenance. And, you know, she'll tell you to this day, and it really was. She was holding on to Jesus, so she was getting the fruit of Jesus. You know, when God hits us so hard that we just got to grab a hold of two hands, cry out. That's when he can bear his fruit. And as it turned out in the Lord's mercy, he had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which is really rare for an adult. He's, you know, 40. Uh, But as it turned out, in, in hours, all of a sudden, he began to take a turn for the better and uh, was able to get, get, back, get back. He was, they pumped him with steroids for a couple days. I think he was red for about eight months after that with all the steroids in him. But uh, just the Lord's mercy of, of, of rescuing him. But also, as the death, as she was carrying about, I mean, he, he was carrying the death, but he was out cold. Um, she was carrying the death of Jesus in her for serving, for, for, for giving their lives to this community to know Jesus. Uh, but the life of Jesus was able to be seen. Uh, it's one of the most poignant pictures I've ever seen. They're exactly what Paul's talking about. Sometimes our most powerful apologetic to people who don't know the Lord or who are kind of on the fringe, you know, a witness to Christ, you know, it occurs when we're under the gun. When, when we're, we're, we're in the pain, we're not feeling like great witnesses. And the reason that's a time for God to use us is, you know, we think, well, you know, don't people need to see us at our best? You know, but, you know, it's not our job to sell Jesus as the antidote. Rather, it's people, when people are going through hard things and they know how they'd react and they know how they'd be tanking emotionally or spiritually. Maybe not spiritually, but not even thinking about. It. And they see they they see us just not be crushed. Again, not necessarily all victorious, but just not be crushed. And thinking, wow, see the life of Jesus has been manifested in your body. And why 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 has she not been crushed by that thoughtless comment that was just made about her? You know, how, how did he respond in kindness to that person who just mocked him for his religion? Um, you know, how can you not be sullen when, when you're, you're told your cancer is incurable? Again, it's not a stoic, false response. It, it, Paul's saying we get wild by life, but as we, as we learn to grab hold of Jesus, to have our confidence in him I mean these the, the songs y'all have selected such great songs to be clinging to that you're feeling on the inside like you're being crushed but the people that God has put around you are saying wow what's going on it's, it's the life of Jesus uh, being put on display and sometimes, sometimes the resurrection life is in you that God builds you up. He renews you and restores you. But sometimes God gives, gives you 
the privilege. Maybe the life that, as you are loving in a way, loving somebody in a way that's costly and, and so you're dying in that love because it's costly to you, but the other person gets to taste of the life of Jesus. So sometimes we do it and we get to taste it. Sometimes we do it and somebody else gets to do it because that's how Jesus, that, that's why at the end of that, that last part that I read, Paul said, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He's not even looking for his own comfort. He just wants to know, you, got, you saw something going on. You're knowing. You've got life because of what we went through. You know, Jesus gives us this, this meal that we, we celebrate and we, we participate in his dying so, he, so that we get life. He did that. Jesus died so we would have life. And then he gets to show the fact that we, we get to do that for others. And we don't go out and choose it. You don't seek it out. But when it's happening, I can say, okay, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use this. I don't know who's going to get the life. It's going to be me. It might be somebody else. But I need you. I, you just going to have to get me through this. And that's when he can use us. You know, if you're, if you're a parent, you get to go through that all the time, right? We, you have somewhat lower expectations for your children, so you kind of intuitively understand that they, you will experience pains in raising them as they don't get it, and you take the hit and the hassle. But even though it's frustrating in the moment, you know, in the bigger picture, it's for their growth and benefit in life. Every now and then you can remember that. <laughs> Sometimes you're just feeling it. But, you know, you, you, you realize. You, you don't have, you're hoping that they'll get it, but you also realize it's, it's, you're in for the long haul. You're, you're, you're planting seeds. It's, it, that, that's the same kind of thing what God's doing in us. I just want to wrap up with, well, actually, I was going to read from First Peter. Let me, let me wrap up by reading from First Peter 2, because this was the first place that I ran across it. Later on in 1 Peter 2, Paul is talking about workers who's, who had bad masters. You know, you're reading Paul, and Paul talks about, you know, if you're a worker, obey your master. Masters treat your employees well. And he says, you know, if you're a husband, love your wife. If your wife, submit to your husband. Kind of best case scenarios. Paul goes the other, or Peter goes the other way. Peter says, if, 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 if you're a Christian wife and, and your husband is not a believer, here's how you do it. Well, he's talking about workers here, about slaves and masters. He says, if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. But then listen to what he says. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Remember several years ago, the old WWJD, what would Jesus do? There's actually a few, there's only, there's only a couple times in the New Testament where it says Jesus is our example. He definitely is our example. He's, 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 he's the second Adam, so he is the full human, and so there, therefore he is, he is a picture of what it is to be human. But there's only a couple times it actually says he's your example, and it's usually something like this where he needs to say, that's an example, because otherwise we would not choose to use that as an example. Right? <laughs> We'd rather dodge that one. But he said, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, 
There was no deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what you, when, when you're going through your suffering, the example Jesus left is for us to continue entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. My life is hid with Christ in God, as we just sang. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. So as he did that for us, he, he calls us and gives us the opportunity to do for him. And so, again, it's the front part of it is kind of hard message that he says, yeah, we're always going to bear, if we, if we live, we're going to bear in our lives the suffering of Christ, if you, belong, if you belong to Jesus. But he says, he does that because he wants to show off the life of Jesus in you. God will use it. And it's having that assurance that caused you to set yourself in him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that there's a big picture some of us are going through things that we can't comprehend or we can't piece together. We sure don't know what you're up to, why we're going through, how to even maybe bear through the weight we've got at this moment. It might be relational, it might be financial, it might be physical, it might be grief. But if we're yours, if we have been raised with Christ, then you are going to use it to show that life, that new life through us. We may not feel like it. We may not look glorious, feel glorious, but you tell us. Paul had the confidence that you would use it. So help us trust you to know that you love us too much to leave us the way we are. And so you're going to work in us and on us and through us. And a lot of times in spite of us. But you will work for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.